Hi, this is David Flowers, Senior Pastor at Grantham Church, an intergenerational convergent third-way congregation with the Brethren in Christ U.S. and located in Mechanicsburg, Pennsylvania. I want to thank you for listening to our podcast and for following the sermons that I and many others preach at Grantham. This is a free podcast and it'll always be that way, but if you'd like to give and help further the work we're doing for the kingdom, we'd greatly appreciate it. If you want to do that, you can do that by going to granthamchurch.org and clicking on the giving tab. Whether you're a member of our church or you're listening as a parishioner, it's our greatest desire that you would encounter Jesus and be changed by the good news wherever you are. Anyway, God bless you, and I hope you enjoy the podcast. Amen. Well, any children who are participating in Kids Own Worship are welcome to head out for that now. Some of you may have experienced that phenomenon of coming home late after a long day. You're feeling kind of worn out. You know, it's a day where it may not have gone as you had hoped it had gone. So you grab a quick bite to eat, probably something that's not very healthy. You take it to the couch, you sit down, grab the remote, start scrolling through Netflix to find something to watch. Uh, you finally land on a show, you go ahead and watch it. It's probably not all that fulfilling considering what we talked about last week and all the dystopian media that's out there. And then the show is over, it's late, it's probably past the time you wish you would have gone to bed. But you needed that time to kind of have for yourself, to unwind. But still, you're, here you are, you're tired, it's late, you go to bed, but because you went to bed late, you're tired the next day, and it kind of sets you up in this cycle. Well, there's actually a term for this, and it's a Chinese phrase, which I'm not gonna attempt to pronounce. There's the transliteration. The expression's translated as revenge bedtime procrastination. This, this idea of taking revenge on this long day so that you can have some time for yourself to unwind and you put off going to bed and usually leaves you in this unhealthy cycle. There was a BBC article that described the phenomenon as people who don't have much control over their daytime life refuse to sleep early in order to regain some sense of freedom during late night hours. Can anyone relate to that? Have you ever felt like you don't have control or power over a certain part of your life? Uh, so you try to do something to kind of fight back for it or gain that sense of freedom, but it never quite satisfies. Maybe you feel, can feel stuck in a pattern or stuck in a situation where you just want to be free, you know, you just want more control. You feel like there's got to be something more. As you know, the sermon series we've been working through this Lent is called Broken Signposts. We're looking at these things in the human experience that point us beyond ourselves and beyond this world, signposts that point us to God and Christ and the good news and ultimately to the coming of a new world. And it's N.T. Wright's book, Broken Signposts, which has been our inspiration for this series. And so far we've reflected on justice, love, spirituality, and beauty. And today we're gonna be looking at freedom. Our instinct for freedom is a broken signpost that leads us to God and his work of redemption. Today we wanna to look at a couple passages of scripture that reveal to us the ways we tend to pursue freedom and what true freedom is and how we can receive it. So if you have your Bible, you can turn with me to Galatians chapter five. We'll also be looking at a passage in the Gospel of John chapter eight, but we'll start in Paul's letter to the Galatians chapter five, beginning in verse one. 
And maybe God will speak to us through this phone call that's coming through right now. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> All right, so Galatians uh, 5.1 says, It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm, men, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. So the first thing, we're gonna stop at this verse for a minute. We, we see here that Christ has set us free. Paul's making this very clear. You notice the repetition right up front there. This is a way of highlighting the main point of this passage, the main point even of the book of Galatians, is that Christ has set us free. The mission of God, his plan of redemption, Jesus' life and work on the cross was for the purpose of liberation. But next, Paul doesn't go on to say, okay, so go have fun, enjoy it, you're free. He says, stand firm, watch out, be on guard, because your freedom is at risk. It can be lost. It's possible for you to come again under the bondage of slavery. Now that word again here is interesting. So if we reflect a little bit on some background of the church in Galatia to whom this letter is being written, uh, earlier in chapter four of Galatians, verses eight and nine said, formerly when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods, that is idols. But now that you have come to know God or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to be once more? Now, the idea here of elementary principles of the world, which is a phrase he also uses a few verses before this in chapter four, is it's basically the way the world does things. So for the Galatians, the way the world did things in their culture and their society is that they pursued pagan idol worship. It involved trying to appease the gods and sacrifice to them in their pursuits of love and health and success and national victory and so forth. And it often involved promiscuous activity at the temples, but it left them feeling trapped. It led to a life of immorality and anxiety and concern that they were never doing enough. So at one time, the Galatians were slaves to the world's way of life, this way of life that says you have to do these immoral things to appease the gods and to have the things you want. But what does this look like in our culture and society? What, is the, what are the principles of the world today? Well, there's a song by Jamie Cullum, who is a jazz artist called 20-something. And in the song, he describes his various pursuits in life and how they've all left him empty. So here's the lyrics to the song. After years of expensive education, a car full of books and anticipation, I'm an expert on Shakespeare, and that's a hell of a lot, but the world don't need scholars as much as I thought. Maybe I'll go traveling for a year, finding myself, or start a career. I could work with the poor, though I'm hungry for fame. We all seem so different, but we're just the same. Maybe I'll go to the gym so I don't get fat. Aren't things more easy with a tight six-pack? Who knows the answers? Who do you trust? I can't even separate love from lust. Maybe I'll move back home and pay off my loans, working nine to five, answering phones. Don't make me live for my Friday nights, drinking eight pints and getting in fights. I don't wanna get up, just let me lie in. Leave me alone, I'm a 20-something. 
Maybe I'll just fall in love, that could solve it all. Philosophers say that that's enough, there surely must be more. Love ain't the answer, nor is work. The truth eludes me, so much it hurts. But I'm still having fun and I guess that's the key. I'm a 20-something, I'll keep being me. The truth eludes me, so much it hurts. What do I really need to do to be free? to be happy. You see, he tries all these things that the world tells him to do. He tries education and travel and career and romance and working for the poor and going to gym, the gym. But in the end, he's feeling unfulfilled and empty and uncertain if he's enough. His pursuits are a form of slavery. The principles of the world tell us to go our own way, to chart our own path, to be who you feel you are, to live life on your own terms, but then we can get overwhelmed and and we lack direction. The principles of the world tell us not to be bound by commitment, but then we feel loneliness. The principles of the world tell us not to be subject to any particular rules or expectations from work or home or anyone else, but then we feel insecure. They say you're free when you wear what you want, when you eat what you want, when you have sex with who you want, when you go where you want, when you want. But the Bible describes this way of life when we pursue the desires of the flesh as slavery. And that slavery leads us to feeling anxious and guilty or concerned that we'll never be good enough. It's a, it's a slavery characterized by fear or insecurity or maybe pride when we think we're doing well or, or weariness and discouragement. So the Galatians had at one time been enslaved in this way. They lived that licentious and immoral lifestyle that went along with the idol-worshiping temple religions of the time, and they had experienced the emptiness and disappointment and unfulfillment of that kind of life. It was a life of slavery. So in our attempts to pursue freedom, one way we do that is through the principles of the world or this immoral way of life. But God goes on, or Paul goes on in these verses in Galatians to explain another way we pursue freedom. So let's pick back up. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Mark my words, I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is obligated to obey the whole law. You who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. So what does circumcision have to do anything? It's, it's kind of awkward for us to talk about circumcision today, isn't it? But circumcision was a big deal in the early church. It was one of the first major barriers that non-Jews had to cross in following Jesus. Circumcision was part of the Jewish law and culture. God's people were Jewish, Jesus was Jewish, and so circumcision was a barrier to non-Jews. What Paul teaches is that you don't have to be circumcised in order to follow Christ. And in fact, if you pursue circumcision, it means that you're pursuing justification by the law. You're trying to be made right with God by your own actions of being a good, law-abiding, rule-following person. But when we do that, it makes Christ's work on the cross worthless. 
So one way we can try to obtain freedom is through that immorality, the principles of the world. But we learn here a second way we obtain freedom is through morality or legalism. So the caution to the Galatians is to not be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Don't just swing the pendulum to the other side and now start living a life under the bondage of religious law or following these moralistic rules. Can anyone resonate with this? Can you, can you identify with that possibility that in your desire to please God and not follow the principles of the world, you might begin to think that if you do the certain things, if you follow the moral rules, then you might be accepted, you might be loved, you might be good enough in the eyes of God. But Paul calls this trying to be justified by the law, and that alienates us from Christ. There's one time in my life that I got called to the principal's office. Well, actually there was two, but I'm only gonna tell you about one today. <laughs> uh, I think I was in fifth grade, and I lived in really close proximity to a college campus bookstore. And at the bookstore, they had a big wall of candy. One of the options was a Jolly Rancher, which not those little ones that you just pop in. It was this long, thin Jolly Rancher that you could suck on for a long time. And so I had this at school one time, and a friend saw it and, thought, and asked me, you know, where'd you get that? Can I have one? I said, sure, it's just 10 cents. And so they gave me a dime and I, I gave them the Jolly Rancher. A few other friends found this out and they all wanted Jolly Ranchers too, so they'd give me the dime, I'd give them the Jolly Rancher. You know, it was a, an even transaction, that's how much it cost, 10 cents. I wasn't, I wasn't trying to make any extra money. So I got called to the principal's office one day and they were asking me about this, this candy that I was selling. <laughs> and asking me, you know, how many of these have you given out? Where are you getting these from? How much do these cost? How, what does this have? And I just remember kind of feeling like, I think they think that I'm doing something wrong here. <laughs> and I was just devastated by this idea that they wouldn't see me as the good girl who I, who I was, the good kid, you know? Everyone knew me as the one who followed the rules and I would get good grades and did what I was supposed to do. And, and this mentality carried through my life and into my relationship with God where, you know, I was, I was the good church-going girl. I did what I was supposed to do. I followed the rules. I, I did the Bible reading plan. I, I participated in the prayer challenge. You know, I did all the things you're supposed to do as a good Christian girl. I would feel guilty when I did wrong. I'd feel pride when I did right and see myself as better than others. And I was under this yoke of slavery to the law. I was burdened by this pursuit of morality in order to be loved by God and others until I eventually had an encounter with the grace of Christ where I realized that God doesn't love me because of what I do but because of who he is. And I continue to grow into that reality even today. But why do we do this? Why do we use legalism as a way to pursue freedom? I have a friend who's a missionary in the islands off of Africa. Her name is Megan, and this is an area where Islam is the predominant faith. And she said when she first arrived on the islands, she was uh, talking with one of the locals there, a local woman, who started asking her 
um, how she, or how kind of you people wash, wash your bodies. And Megan was kind of, you know, thrown off by that. Well, you use soap and water, you know. <laughs> but, but the woman was really asking, well, well, what parts do you have to wash? Where do you start? You know, and then she started asking about prayer and, and how often do you pray and what stance do you have? How do you, you know, bow down? How many times a day? Which direction? That kind of thing. And, and so my, my friend Megan was, was excited to tell her, you know, I can wash and pray however and whenever I want. But this concept, when she said this to the local woman, she kind of seemed confused by that. She, she wasn't excited about that idea. And it was, this kind of, it was kind of scary to this woman because what Megan realized is that legalism gives clear answers for life. They have rule, it, there's rules that tell you what to do. So you're not sure, you know, what do I wear? Well, what, wear this. What do I eat? Eat this. How do I pray? Pray this way. So legalism tells you what to do in order to be acceptable. And it also can give you an identity. It can tell you what to do in order to belong to a certain group. And it gives you steps for how to gain status or honor in a community. So legalism can be comforting, but it's actually a form of slavery. And we, when we fall into this legalistic way of life, we lose our gospel freedom. But what's interesting about both of these forms of slavery, both the immorality and morality, is that they have the same results. They both leave us feeling guilty, anxious, empty, and longing for more. They're both called slavery. So what then do we do? What is true freedom? And this is where we're gonna turn over to the Gospel of John, chapter eight. We will actually go back to Galatians five in a minute. But let's read some verses from John eight, verses one through 36. And this is on the screen as well if you wanna follow along there. To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. They answered him, we are Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves to anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? Jesus replied, very truly I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Jesus says that true freedom is found in him. If you hold to my teaching, if you, if you really believe what I say, if you believe, really trust that I am the living water, I am the bread of life, I am the light of the world, I am the way, the truth, and the life, then you will be truly free. But the Jews who were talking to him were struggling with this because they weren't even really at a place of being willing to say that they needed freedom. They're saying, wait, how can you say we're enslaved to anyone? Now, many of us know from the Old Testament that Israel was in slavery to Egypt for several years. They were also slaves to other nations throughout history. So 
I don't think these Jews were just ignorant to their own history and, and talking about slavery in a political sense, but they were likely referring to more of an, an internal spiritual oppression. And in their mind, Jews saw themselves in this way. So they were God's chosen people. God's chosen people came through Abraham, uh, the descendants of Abraham, and through Abraham's son, Isaac. Now, Isaac was born to Sarah, and if you know the story of Abraham and Sarah, they were old and, got, and they had no children. Sarah was past the age of childbearing and God had promised them a son. But they didn't think it was gonna happen, so they tried to get a son their own way. Abraham uh, slept with Hagar, who was Sarah's maidservant, and Hagar gave birth to Ishmael. But then Sarah did, as God promised, end up bearing his son Isaac. So God's people came through the line of Isaac. So the Jews saw themselves as part of this line of freedom. They came through the free woman, not the slave woman. And their allegiance, the allegiance of God's people was always supposed to be to God, not to any other political authority. So their claim is that we as Jews have never lost our inward spiritual freedom and privilege. You know, they saw themselves as privileged to be God's people, set apart as signified by circumcision and given the law. So they're questioning how Jesus can even say that they're enslaved, but their very pride is evidence of what Jesus says in verse 34, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Jesus deepens the experience of slavery from an external oppression to a disease of the heart. He's saying you don't even realize how enslaved you are. They were pursuing that legalistic way of life and they were appealing to their lineage to signify their freedom. But their sin was actually a slavery of the heart and that disqualified them from being part of Abraham's true family. That's what verse 35 is saying. A slave has no permanent place in the family. Our sin takes away our status as part of God's family. But Jesus reveals that true freedom comes through the greater son of Abraham, and that is Christ. He says true freedom is not about your lineage, but it's about your submission to Christ in your heart. It's about what Jesus has done in defeating the power of sin and releasing us from its captivity and welcoming us back into the family of God. So how did Jesus achieve this freedom? Well, Jesus put himself under a yoke of slavery when he went to the cross. He confined himself to the limits of the human body in coming to earth, and he allowed himself to be bound by nails on the cross. And through his death and resurrection, he achieves true freedom. And we have access to that freedom by trusting in Christ, by believing in him and receiving his grace. So we no longer need to submit to the principles of the world or to the legalistic way of life. We have a true freedom when the Son of God sets us free. True freedom is a freedom from the power of sin and freedom from the obligation to obey the law. So here's where we need to jump back to Galatians 5, because I want us to get this. 
Paul says in Galatians 5.3, again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he's obligated to obey the whole law. So if you're gonna follow the rule of circumcision, you have to follow all the rules, and no one can do that perfectly. That's the legalistic pursuit of freedom and righteousness. So he says in verses five to six, for through the Spirit, we eagerly await by faith the righteousness for which we hope. It's God who declares us righteous when we trust in Christ. It's not through our own actions that we're made right with God. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. True freedom is both a freedom from and a freedom for. It's a freedom from a life of sin and guilt and obligation. It's freedom from fear and condemnation. But it's freedom for a life of love. When we receive Christ's work on the cross and receive the love of the one who dealt with our sin, it moves us to love. Galatians 5, 13 and 14 say, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free But do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus says elsewhere that all the law and the prophets hang on these two commands, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and to love your neighbor as yourself. When we're set free by Christ, we no longer have to obey the law but we get to obey the law. Our freedom changes our motivations. Obeying God is no longer a burden. When you're truly free in Christ, you do get to do what you want, but what you want increasingly becomes what God wants. Now, now hear me, this is not a permissiveness to follow the flesh, to follow our own pleasures. That would be abusing our gospel freedom. But our desires are transformed more and more, and we're freed for a purpose, and that is to love. And to love in the way of Christ, which is a self-sacrificing, servant-hearted love. You see, free people become agents of freedom in the world. Nelson Mandela, the great activist against apartheid, said, to be free is not merely to cast off one's chains, but to live in a way that respects and enhances the freedom of others. It is for freedom Christ has set us free. God's rescue of us by his grace, not earned by our merit, leads us to respond to him in obedience out of our love and gratitude for him, and that obedience is characterized by love for our neighbors. We're freed for a life of love and a life of helping others to know the freedom that they can have in Christ. So what might that look like for you? Where do you notice captivity around you? Do you have a sense of where or how people in your life might be feeling stuck or worn out or insecure or wondering if they're good enough. You know, how are people around you enslaved either to immorality or morality? 
Maybe you can ask someone at work if they've ever experienced revenge bedtime procrastination. (laughs) And as we take notice of the slavery around us, let us be prayerful and creative and servant-hearted in the way God would use us to offer freedom. Got a few questions for us for reflection and response today. The first is, where are you experiencing the broken signpost of freedom? In what ways might you be feeling trapped or anxious or empty? You know, or maybe you're just feeling resigned, resigned to the fact that things are the way they are, nothing's going to change, I've been stuck in this pattern of sin or this way of life for so long and there's just no hope for freedom anymore. I encourage you to offer that to the Lord to say to God, here's how I feel, how can I be free? Another question is, in your life, do you tend to lean toward living the principles of the world, the immorality, or do you tend to have a legalistic approach to life and faith, that morality? Or maybe, you know, maybe you've experienced the pendulum swing in your life at different times. But what might freedom look like Imagine being free from the guilt, from the striving, from the obligation and pressure. And talk to God about that. Another question is, how is God inviting you to be an agent of freedom for others? You know, maybe there's a neighbor or friend or family member on your mind. You might pray about how God can help you to show them that sacrificial love of Christ and offer them the hope of freedom in Christ. Brothers and sisters, there's a broken signpost called freedom. May the Spirit help us to see its fulfillment is found in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. God, we recognize that apart from you, we are enslaved. We're enslaved to the ways of the world, to the rules that we hear. We're enslaved to our own sin. And God, these are powerful forces. We recognize that it's hard to resist these things. And so, Lord, we pray that we would experience your freedom. We ask your spirit to come into us and change us and make us more like Jesus and change our motivations and desires and set us free. Lord, help us to be able to extend that freedom to others. Show us people in our lives where we can serve and love in the way that you do. I pray that more and more those acts of love to others would be a joyful, obedient response to your love for us. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.